Alright, today is... What do I do the Hebrew way? Well, no, no. Well, it's the 19th of Adar. This yeah. is the 19th of Adar, 5766, or, as it were, the 19th of March, 2006. And we're discussing uh, Epistles of the Hebrews, and it's Lesson 19. And let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this country. Uh, Father, with the freedoms that we have, we thank you that you have uh, ordained that we be here at this time and that you've placed us in this place. And Lord, we know it is for one purpose, and that is that we seek you and finding you that we might serve you. And Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for your word and thank you for what it means to us, that it is a treasure to us to be searched out, to be uncovered, because we know that, Father, within its pages are a revelation of who you are and what you have done for us. And we thank you for that. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Bless Adonai, who is blessed. Blessed is Adonai, who is blessed forever. Blessed art thou, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed art thou, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. All right, well, one more lesson after this one. Uh, The homework's done except for next week's, right? So we have one more week of homework. (laughs) Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. The, The... Things that I've underlined in, this, in, these, in these verses are really almost, you're seeing uh, contrasts, okay? Confidence, uh, which has a great reward, for, for you have need of endurance so that, you, so that you have done, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will, will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Here the contrast is the just living by faith that that is drawing back. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And then it begins chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Unfortunately, I've (laughs) dimmed out the top ones there. But the point here is that uh, um, there is a topic that is being discussed in chapter 11. And it is very unfortunate that our Bibles break between chapters 10 and 11. Because there's not a break in thought. The thought is the same thought. And when you begin reading about faith in the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, you must go back to the end of chapter 10 and continue into chapter 12 or you lose the point of what he's bringing up and in fact you may have a perverted view of what faith is if you're not careful what is he's speaking about starting off at the end of chapter 10 therefore do not cast away your confidence which has a great reward what confidence confidence there is in the idea of bold speech Almost, in fact, it almost is conveyed in the apostolic scripture sometimes as being rude. You're, 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 you're abrupt in your 
you're rude and you're, it's not needing that here, but it's bold speech. Speaking up. Why do these people need to speak up? Yeah. So, hey, speak up. Well, you may not say, you know, go ahead and just do it so you get persecuted. It may not be something like that, but they need to, they need to understand the significance of what's going on. Right. right. Notice this thing here, and the reason why I, I, I started the end and went back and underlined things, this thing that really jumps out at me, and maybe it doesn't jump out at other people, the definition of faith, chapter 11, verse 1, and chapter 11, verse 6, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What do we hear about faith? Faith is, is a speaking of a list of things that you say you believe, or faith is a believing in your heart. Is faith something that's not seen? Based on that verse. Notice his contrast to what he's doing. It's the substance. It has form. That's interesting. Faith has a form. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence. You guys heard this before. Just take it on blind faith. Right? The words blind faith do not belong in Scripture. Blind faith? No. Faith is something that is based upon something that is evidenced. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and, and Mikey may have been there. We were talking about uh, this in, in our discussion in Psalms 119, talking about uh, doing word studies. <laughs> what, what do you say when someone says, hey, listen, uh, you just saw a robbery, and can you describe the height of the man? Well, he was six foot five, and I saw him go out the door, and, and he robbed this place. And then they talk to some more people they're coming back to, and they go, you know, some other people in the room say that he was six foot. Are you sure he was six foot five? How would you how would you phrase your your assertion again that you think he was six foot five? You might phrase it, well, I believe he was. Wait a minute. <laughs> Our English use of the word belies its very meaning. I believe he was, so that maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Well, that is that's right. Faith, faith as we use it, or excuse me, believe as we use it in English, often implies doubt, or it implies not necessarily a singular thing, but I believe this and you believe that. We can all get together, we can discuss scripture, and one person says, "Well, uh, I believe this means this," and someone else goes, "Well, I believe this means this," and the two can agree. Well, then we can be okay. We can we can be friends because we believe something says something differently. And so, but we, who knows what it really means? And others, or more importantly, that it may mean that to you, that it means something else to me. It's somehow belief or Exactly. It's somehow that belief is something that is personal and not based upon a not and subjective as opposed to being objective and indisputable. Right? Exactly. N- notice what we've done with the word. In our very language, we've perverted the word. Now, let's talk about what we did last week for a few quick. Last week, we compared to contrast the Old and the New Covenants. We saw that the way that the world and the heavens are temporal, so is the Old Covenant. And the idea of the Old Covenant, not, you know, we, we danced around the word, and, and I don't like the word either because it's not scriptural, except in, in 2 Corinthians, the Old Covenant. We use the word First Covenant, the phrase First Covenant. Uh, and, however, when we read uh, the writings of uh, the, the writing of Hebrews 8.13, 
where it talks about uh, the old or the first passing away, whatever else, what we discovered is it was describing a temporal thing. It was describing something just like the heavens and the earth pass away. And that it will not be and it will become not visible as opposed to vanishing. Like the Holy of Holies, the new covenant is not seen. It is invisible. The Holy of Holies, when you stood outside the tabernacle or outside the temple, could not be seen, which is the point that the writer is making in the book of Hebrews verse nine. It's invisible. It's not yet fulfilled. Although the parts of it are active and worse active since ancient times. In other words, remember what we talked about is, is like, why is this in the present tense? Why is he saying that the, that the, uh, that the old covenant is, uh, does, is, is temporal, as it were, and will vanish? Why didn't he say it had? Right? If that's what he was trying to say. The new covenant is first promised, as we saw in Deuteronomy 30, then again in Jeremiah 31, and then Ezekiel 36 and 37. We also saw that it, made, it was made between God and Israel, period. There was no, there was no oh, by the way, and, and anybody else can lay claim to this. Who can lay claim to the new covenant? Israel and Judah. It goes so far as to say Ephraim, yes, and, and others of the same name. Uh, and it goes so far as to say Ephraim, right? Ephraim, Ephraim, and Israel, and Judah. But it's specifically speaking about, well, your name's not Ephraim, is it? Um, it's speaking about Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what hope do we have in the New Covenant if we're not of that descent? We need to be adopted in. We have to be adopted in. As Romans 11 says, we have to be adopted in. We have to be grafted in, as it were. And we're adopted. How are we adopted? Well, listen, if my brother's Jewish, I'm Jewish. Well, maybe not Jewish. But if my brother's an Israelite, am I not a, am I not a part of the family if my brother is? That's right. And, if, you know, and as Yeshua said, it, uh, you are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are my mother. And in Galatians, it goes so far as to find it since we enter the covenant with Messiah, in the same way that a man and a woman become one. Exactly. We actually become one with Messiah, so we are grafted into the seed of Abraham. Absolutely. It's profound. You know, and, and uh, you know, in, in, in talking about things, people bring up... Various various phrases or whatever words to describe various belief systems or whatever else. And one thing that people begin to wonder if you start talking about how great Israel is in relationship to today and how we should support Israel, they begin to wonder if you somehow don't believe in dual covenants. God has a covenant with Israel and then he has a covenant with the church. No, there are no dual covenants, but there's no supersessionism either. There's no replacement of covenants. It works this way. God has a covenant with Israel and through Messiah you can be grafted in. There's only one. And the hope of the new covenant is not the hope of a separate covenant, but it is an internal covenant within the covenant that we see of the first and the old. And that was his whole point in this tabernacle imagery. Here's the tabernacle, okay? Here's the outside. Can you see it? Yes. There's something inside you can't see. It's that holy of holies. That now, got that picture in mind? Remember the covenants. Here's the first covenant. It's the outside. There's something inside not visible. Right? If you were in the Holy of Holies, were you in the tabernacle? Yes. If you're in the new covenant, are you in 
The covenant that God has made with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yes, that's the point. So you're part of the covenant. It's not two separate covenants in the sense of being distinct from one another, but rather, uh, as we've described, uh, as we pictured in the, in the workbook, a circle within a circle. Okay? Questions? It's also dealing with different things. Different things. Temporal versus eternal. Well, it is eternal, but it's temporal in the sense that it's part of this world. It's physical. Versus unseen. This week's lesson, we focus on how this whole idea... Now, with that in mind, and as we've gone through this, we've seen this repeated, haven't we? In in chapter 8, we saw Yeshua as a high priest. Is he he a priest on earth if he were here? No. No. Chapter 8 tells us he would not be a priest if he were here on earth. Where is he a priest? Where He cannot be seen at the moment, correct? There are priests here who serve, and that's as the writer said. And what do they serve? They serve in the earthly tabernacle. The physical versus the, or the seen versus the unseen. So he's played this picture for us, and he's really spread it out now for three chapters. Seen versus unseen. Not, not separate, not in Greek thinking where there's the spiritual and the physical, but seen versus unseen, both comprising the same reality, as it were, or similar realities. Not contrasting, but comparing. Showing, if you want to know something unseen, look to what is... If you want to know something unseen, look to what is seen. What's a shadow do? It represents the shape and the outline of what you don't see. Right? And in the same way, we see that faith is going to give us the same perspective. And that's what he's making the point of as he moves on to chapter 11. Okay? Uh, Well, we have to start at the beginning. What did I do with my Bible? Oh, no. Can you... uh, It's... Yeah, it is. It's upstairs. Thank you. Someone else will have to read for me. Uh, Okay. Uh, Aman is the Hebrew... No, that's fine. Uh, Aman is the Hebrew uh, verb... um, which is, the, which is the root of the word faith in the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. To establish, to support, to uphold, nourish. It's to be carried by, an, it also has a, a secondary meaning, to be carried by a nurse. It's the root verb for the Hebrew noun emunah, which is faith. The word is translated into English in the word amen. You say amen. Uh, Yeshua, in many of his statements that we read in the apostolic scriptures, in English it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Right? And it is the word, Amen, Amen. In other words, this is true, this is true. We get the word, the Hebrew word for truth is emet, which is a derivative of the same word. Remember when we talked about belief? Well, maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. No, no, no. Based upon the Hebrew thing, it's absolute truth. You believe something, it's absolutely true. Okay? There's no question. There's no doubt involved. The first, and it has a feminine and a masculine form, unfortunately. The feminine and the masculine form, uh, you have to follow it several different ways uh, if you go through the, through the Hebrew scriptures. But one of the first usages is actually in Exodus where uh, fighting against the Amalekites, thank you, fighting against the Amalekites, uh, Moses' hands were steadied, and it uses Ammon. They were steadied, right, being held up. To be steady. To be steady. Okay? Keep that in mind. Also keep in mind the issue of a... Uh, uh, um, 
to be nursed, carried by a nurse. Genesis 15.6 is where, where uh, Abraham, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him was righteousness. This is the first usage of the verb believe. Okay? Genesis 15.6 is the hephil stem perfect mood. What it means is, hephil means it's causative. In other words, there's a relationship. There's a relationship going on to, between the person who is trusting, believing, and the object of that believing, or in this case, God. Right? There's a relationship between them. In other words, Abraham didn't, and this is the key to this usage, and there's a reason I, went, I even went so far as to put all us in, hephil. It means that Abraham had a reason to believe what God said. Okay? It wasn't blind faith. It was, there was a, he would have been stupid not to believe God. That's what it means. That's exactly what it means. It's a, actually, it's, it's a minor usage. It only, like I said, Hephil is only used 13% in Hebrew as a, as a, uh, um, as a stem. I put up there uh, Genesis 15.6 it says came to be or caused to be nursed or nurtured go to Genesis 15.6 uh, uh, real quickly and this is the foundation this is quoted so often and this is a foundation of our faith Genesis 15.6 and excuse me speaking of Abraham uh, actually go up to verse 5 then he brought him outside and said look now toward toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them and he said to him so shall your descendants be and he believed in the Lord and he counted it, accounted it to him for righteousness so it's causative okay Amon is not intellectual ascent here's the problem that we have with the as we get, when we get into the Greek word here in a little bit the problem that we have with faith is, is as, a, as a western culture Greek, Greek would be a considered western culture as a western culture and language we, we normally take words like faith and believe and ascribe them to a mental activity a mental activity where its evidence is not necessarily required actually we do require evidence of faith I don't know if you know this, but most believers require some evidence of faith, whether they realize it or not. They just come up with different ways of voicing it. And as long as you don't speak it too loudly, then it's acceptable. A perfect example would be, if you saw me driving, I've given this example before, if you saw me driving and you saw a fish on the back of my car, a bumper sticker, what would you assume? Now you said that last time. (laughs) (laughs) So I still apply. Sorry, sorry. You stole a car. Depends on how fast you're driving. To me, it would depend on how you're driving. Well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Okay, we're sitting still. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on what you do to get the light. There's an automatic assumption. Well, is that the evidence of faith? It might be an evidence of faith, but is that the evidence of faith? We play this game. We require evidence. It's not enough for someone to say something. And yet, it depends on how that evidence is portrayed, whether we accept it as evidence or not. Now, I'll give you some examples here in a moment, but that's, 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 a, that's, a, good, that's a good idea there. And I've described this before. Imagine if you were standing at the corner of a street, and you watch a young man lead a little old lady across the street. Any number of people standing in that vicinity would say, think various things. Now the Christian would say, look at that nice Christian young man leading that little lady across the street. 
And a Muslim might also say, look at that nice little Muslim boy leading that lady across the street. And a Hindu might say, look at that nice little Hindu boy leading that lady across the street. These are universal, universal uh, evidences, or universally accepted evidence of just good behavior, right? Is that the evidence of faith? Well, certainly it's not. Not having good behavior would be evidence of not having faith, right? But is that the evidence of faith? That's the question, right? The first usage in Genesis 15.6, first usage, of course, it's the first usage of the word believe is used. All other usages of this word and its principle are embodied in that one verse, right? There. And he, well, that's a little... I'm playing a game there. Amand. <laughs> he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did he do? Amazing. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. In other words, what did he see? And that was actually the reason why I put that question in the workbook. He was responding... He was responding to what God said. How did he respond? He went out, he obeyed. He, look, this makes no sense. Look, I don't need to go outside to get this from you. Okay, I'll, you know, he didn't say that. He went out and he looked up. So he saw exactly what God wanted him to see. What was it? Stars. So he showed your descendants speak. And he saw and he believed. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. Judah had that in his, in his uh, Shabbat school yesterday. He gave him a little card with a Hebrew word, star. <laughs> with a verse, Genesis 15.6. <laughs> Genesis 17.1. Yeah, let's go there real quick. This is a good one. Getting back to the idea of Abraham's belief in the vacuum, um, at the end of Romans 4, maybe like the beginning later, mm-hmm. at the end of Romans 4, it talks about how he counted he could promise faithful. I mean, it comes right back to what... It's accounting. Mm-hmm. It's accounting. Well, it was basing his belief on the person of God and what he said. Look at this. When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him, to Abram, and said to him, I am Almighty God, is what my English version says there. Of course, it says El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. <clears throat> Whether he could see him or not is debatable, and we, we talked about that when we did Messiah in the Tanakh. But uh, certainly, if he were to describe it, he would have said, I saw him, because he said he appeared, right? Uh, is that blind faith? Hmm. He reveals his title as El Shaddai, or El Shaddai, which is usually rendered God Almighty. Shaddai is more than Almighty, though. It's all-powerful. But it's more than that, because it actually comes, and this is debatable, but it's probably its root is from, uh, is essentially from a nursing mother. That's, its, that's what it's pointing towards, which kind of goes back towards that aman, right? Nurturing. Um, what is it? <coughs> is there anything more fierce than a nursing mother in defending that child? Absolutely not. So in that sense, all-powerful is probably a good, good representation, almighty. <coughs> It's not just nourishment, though. It's also protection. Uh, the use of Amman in Genesis 15:6 pre-pictures Abram as dependent, as a dependent infant, crying out for nourishment and protection. This is really good. Now, when you go back to that uh, 15, or excuse me, 15:6, his his uh, his believing God and it being accredited to him or accounted to him as righteousness, he's like, well, what else could he do? What was he complaining about in 15:6? 
In chapter 15. He had no heir. That's right. He had no heir. Was there something he could do about that? He tried. It didn't work out too well. (laughs) So there's nothing he could do about it. Right? And so what was his cry? That's right. What, what, is, can a child feed itself when it's in it? No. What's it crying for? I need something, and you've got what I need. And Abraham is, as it were, crying out, I need something, and you've got what I need. Carry over to Hebrews 11.6. It says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Is anybody, I'm not, I've never been a nursing mother, but any nursing mothers can account for a child is really, really good at finding nourishment if the mother's nearby. How is that possible? I need something and I know you have it. Right? It's never shadowed out in the child's mind. You've got what I need. I know it. So he's called believing Abraham. In Genesis 15, 1 through 6, God responded to... Excuse me. Abraham responded to God's declaration. He's going to have a great... You know, this, this is the thing that really amazes me, and this goes back to that same idea. In, in deconstructing how we use faith, in deconstructing how we use the word faith and the concept of faith, it becomes very clear after a while that faith always must be more than merely an acknowledgement of something that you think to be true. Abraham acted upon and received the reward for acting upon believing God. Right? What was the reward? Does a child receive the reward for crying? Punish him. Don't let him eat. <laughs> no, he receives the reward for crying. He gets the nourishment he's crying, he's crying for. I had all sons. That's why I say he, huh? I, I received I received the nourishment that I that I need. That's that's all you know. I stopped my crying. Will a child when when will a child cease seeking for nourishment? When he's got it, right? His needs been met. What what usually occurs? Nursing mothers out. Anybody's been a nursing mother. What usually occurs after a child has received this nourishment? It's full. Huh? It goes to sleep. Why? Ain't nothing better than having a full tummy. (laughs) Right? My needs have been met. Mommy has me in her arms. And nothing could possibly be wrong in the world. I'm going to sleep now. It's a perfect example of, of, of Abram. God responds with promises. God made a promise to Abram. Abram responded to God's promise. And what does he receive? More promises. Chapter 15 is packed full of them. Right? More promises. More reward. It's like, a, it's like an enduring cycle. Romans 4.1. Let's go there real quick. Because this is a commentary. I had you go to in your homework as well. I wonder if we'll ever get back to Hebrews 11. <laughs> <laughs> what shall we say then? 
Abraham our father has found what shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before God for what does the scripture say Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness now to him who works the wages are not counted as grace but as debt but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted for righteousness him who does not work does not imply inaction was Abraham inactive did he not participate in the process he participated he was told to get up and leave and he got up and left could Abraham do something about what he complained about no he could not have a child that's what he was appealing to God for he did not say you know I achieved this child by my own strength that would have been that's exactly what Paul is writing about that was not what Abraham did he did not claim that this son that had been promised was achieved through his own strength I am the one who brought this about there's a contrast of motives here the reward for Ammon that is believing is credited righteousness there's also a contrast in methods um in the contrast between faith and works in Romans 4 there's definitely a contrast between like the belief in God that does result in action versus a belief in trying to do it a belief in yourself and trying to do it yourself and a good example of that Abraham's belief in God for Isaac is faith Abraham's belief in himself for Ishmael was works very good excellent point excellent point you can understand now reading these four these four verses how you could get you could twist this right you could twist this you could make it whoa man we're not talking about works why is it we always have to preface everything we say with by the way I don't believe in salvation by works because that's the first thing anybody accuses you of anytime you mention works good works good deeds right it's like well you're you're teaching a gospel that's saved by works no I'm not (laughs) far from it what did Abraham complain about? Something he could not do for himself. Did that mean that Abraham was inactive? In no means. Abraham obeyed God. That was not what brought him. Uh, uh, that is not what brought him a son. His obedience didn't bring him a son in that sense. He obeyed God. The son was promised. Period. God was going to do it. Galatians 3, 5 through 9. Is that what you're talking about, Joshua? Well, actually, the, 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 the big contrast between faith and works is in Galatians chapter 4. Yes. The big Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By the way, a very important Hebraism found in that verse. Can anybody tell me what it is? Hearing. Hearing. The hearing of faith. What is the hearing of faith? The hearing of God. Well, the word hearing, what, what would that be in Hebrew? It's, it's like an idea of like when, when a parent asks, his, asks a child, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? It's not. Are, is your mind... I know you heard me. <laughs> it's, uh, are you responding? That's why when you read this, when you read this with that in mind, the hearing of faith, you should be hearing, you should be reading 
faith and its response. Right? And its response. Hearing is a response, as it were. And we'll, we'll look at, actually, it's not only a response, it's a cause as well. We'll see that in a second. Just as Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, it, uh, In you the, uh, all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed in believing Abraham. He's called believing, believing Abraham. Therefore, we are, we are believers. Right? When was the gospel preached to Abraham? Did you read it? It was yeah yes it was it was not in the homework but it was in chapter fifteen it was in chapter twelve you're right absolutely that is the gospel is it not the gospel what is the gospel I mean that's a good question but we're not getting into it right now <laughs> uh, Habakkuk two four you can look it up if you like the righteous the tzaddik the righteous one shall live by faith and that is emunah this is what's quoted at the end of chapter 10 Hebrews chapter 10 yes we are going back there it's quoted at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 the just shall live by faith the righteous shall live by faith some versions say the righteous shall live by his faith and actually that is probably the more correct variation of English put into that what is the word this uh, well it's lived yeah Yes, you shall live by it well not only in English <laughs> well I'm thinking is it live like like you do it out as part of your life, or does it live by like you stay alive by it? Because if it's the just lives by faith, then his life is demonstrated in his faith. But if it's the just stays alive, go to, faith, go to Romans chapter ten. And I, I can't remember if we did this or not, but it doesn't matter because it's the same idea. Romans chapter ten, verse five, from Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. What's that mean? Huh? I think that's exactly what it means. But you know what, how it's translated, how it's interpreted by so many? Verse 6, But the righteousness of faith speaks of this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, who, that is to bring Messiah down, or, or from above, that is to descend into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah from the death. But what does it say? Actually, we did look this up. But that, I think that's exactly what it means. The problem is, what this is used to, is it's used to give you a contrast. Many people read this as a contrast. Verse 5 and verse 6. But for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law, the man who does these things shall live by them. In other words, you can't possibly do it all. So you're going to die. Or verse 6, the opposite, which is, but the righteousness of faith, which speaks this way. However, if you follow these verses in context that he quotes from Deuteronomy 30, that's not at all what it means. This is your life. This is your life. Yes, that's exactly. This is your life. This is a good thing. Grasp. It's like your life preserver. Grab it and hold on. That's right. This is your life. Yes. So, Joshua's take... Personally, I like I like it a lot. I think that's that's its that's its function in, in this is to say the righteous shall live 
Life is by faith. Shall live by faith. It's a way to stay alive, as it were. More than just staying alive. Is that what you're making a point of? I was curious. Well, I'm just really curious as to which one it would be. I think that I've heard that the way it's traditionally yeah. rendered. But Hebrews 11.6. Oh, we are going back to Hebrews. Okay, good. Life as in breathing for powerful. Yeah, that's what I think. Because life can, can be rendered both ways in, in English. Like if you live... English as well as actually Hebrew as well. This is your life. Yeah. You shall live this way. You shall walk this way. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay? In other words, you're going to receive the reward. If you seek him, you'll see... That's evidence of... If you seek him, you'll receive the reward, right? Abram sought after God. God rewarded him with right standing before him so that he might be rewarded with God himself. I mean, think about it. It's really pretty amazing. It's like, a, it's like a cycle. It's like the cycle of believing God and receiving the reward is ever deeper, right? It's like every, every swing through the cycle results in more faith, more believing, which results in greater reward which results in more faith, which results in greater reward. But wait, I have to... But what happens if... All, all you physics people in here... I know pilots know this, so... Yeah. If I apply an action to this spinning cycle, if I apply an action, what will the direction of movement be? In the direction of rotation at a 90 degree angle. No, in the direction of rotation at a 90 degree angle, the force will, be, will, will spin out of the center, right? Here's what faith does, though. True faith, when, when external circumstances are applied, will not spin out. Go back to the first definition of Amon. Steady. Doesn't shift. Doesn't waver, doesn't leave the cycle. Stays in there. Ever deeper. External circumstances, <laughs> it doesn't have any effect. I'm steady. Just like Moses' arms are being held up in the battle against the Amalekites. Steady. Rock solid. A foundation. Steadfast. The noun for, uh, the noun description of Emunah for faith in, 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 in Hebrew carries with it as primary the idea of steadfastness. Unchanging. Unwavering. Psalms, uh, I gave you the wrong verse. Psalms 119, 86 says, All your mitzvot, all your commandments are faithful. They're steadfast. They don't waver. Right? They don't waver. They're steadfast. Think about now, think about Again, go back to English usage of the word faith or belief, right? It's like, well, no, you could change my mind. <laughs> you know, those people said he was six foot. Oh, well, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he wasn't six foot five. Maybe he was six foot, right? I believe he was that tall. See, you know, it, it implies the opposite of steadfastness. Well, that's not what I believe. 
That just actually implies stubbornness when you say that. Well, I believe differently than you. <laughs> That's not necessarily steadfastness, right? Based upon a fact. But at the same time, at least there is some uses of belief in English that does carry through the, the full meaning of the word. Like they talk about, sometimes they'll, when they say someone believes someone else, like a coach, the players will believe him, believe his system, They'll Good. do what he says he Good. tells them to do. They believe that he's smart, he knows more than them, and if they do what he says they'll do, they'll get success. Yeah. Well, how do you describe someone who is, who is uh, almost, uh, um, almost crazy with, with, with a certain idea? You call, them as, you call them a true believer. Boy, they are a true believer in that. <laughs> as if there's anything other than a true believer. <laughs> but understand the point is, true believers, you can't waver them, man. They're like, that's it. That's the way it's going to be. There's no wavering, right? <laughs> true believers are kind of beginning in Hebrews 11. They're people who are sought asunder in possible for love. All right. You got your homework. Page 128. Let's go through these people. Abel. Here's the one thing that I wanted more than anything else as you went through these people. What did I want you to do? I wanted you to see that people, it says they believed, and then what? Was that enough? They did something. They believed and did something, and there was a result. Cause and effect. All the way through this chapter, it's cause and effect, is it not? This is a chapter that is filled with verbs in addition to believe. Faith or believing is an active process. It's not simply sitting down and going, well, I believe that. Yes, exactly. So, Abel, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. That's what he did. What was his reward? He is a witness of righteousness. God testified to his gifts. Enoch. Someone give me Enoch. Before I put it up there. Don't read your outline. <laughs> Enoch. Anybody, anybody write it down? Enoch. He had a testimony. He was taken away. Before he was taken away, he had a testimony, right? A statement. And what did, and what did you say, Jeremiah? He was well-pleasing. He was well-pleasing. He didn't see death either, right? That's reward, is it not? Okay. Noah. He was moved with fear and he prepared an ark. He built an ark. That's not salvation by works. <laughs> right? He didn't come up with it on his own. Well, I think I need to build an ark today. It might rain. <laughs> right? He believed God. He was moved by godly fear. And he did something. He be- and what was the result? What was the reward? He became the heir of righteousness according to faith. And actually, it lists, uh, I mean, he's listed in this, in this chapter relating him to Abraham. How about Abraham? Boy, look at all the things that he did. He obeyed. He went out. He dwelt. He dwelt in the land, right? He waited. When he was tested, he offered Isaac. Look at all the things that he did in response that you know. How do you know that he believed? Because he did these things. And what was the reward he received? He received a descendant. He received an inheritance. I love this one. He received, as it were, uh, in a parable, Isaac back from the dead. How cool is that? Well, we in the church can't understand the fact that the rabbis have a parable. That he actually there is a parable. There is a parable. And he yeah. got him back? Yeah, there is a parable. Uh, Sarah. What did Sarah do? 
What was her faith response? She laughed. That's right. <laughs> Abraham laughed too the chapter before. <laughs> so, so we have to be a little bit kinder to Sarah maybe. <laughs> In this case, laughter is not a bad thing. That's a good name for someone, right? But, uh, what did she receive? The strength to conceive. Though her body was, Abraham, speaking of which, is both of them. Though their bodies are dead, what did they receive? A miraculous birth. Wow, this is sure a faith of miraculous births. You know, Isaac. Jacob. Uh, and Esau, sorry. We've <laughs> got to include him. Uh, who, who, or some other miraculous births. Moses. I mean, not a miraculous birth, but a miraculous Keeping alive. You see the generational listing, though. It's a miraculous birth there, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you hear Jeremiah? Do you hear Joshua? If you do the generational listing, there was a miraculous birth with, Je- with Moses, too. His mother's 200. What's up with that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But look at Sarah in verse 11. I love the definition of faith for her. It says, She judged him faithful who had promised. That's right. It goes back to Romans 4. It's the same thing. I know you're talking about all the actions that came from faith. It's important to say, it doesn't say, Oh, and here is something that they did, this person did this. It always starts with, By faith. By they faith. Did this. By faith. You know, it's like you think about the Shema, we were talking about that earlier. The first thing that God says is He explains who He is. Before he tells them, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, the number one thing, the number one commandment is that I am God. the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So right. faith in him has to come before all the actions. The actions are not in substitute. Very good. Excellent. Good point. Excellent point. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Isaac. He blessed Jacob and Esau. Well, I'm not so sure about the blessing Esau, but he blessed Jacob and Esau, right? And uh, what was what did he receive? Assurance of the promises. Jacob blessed his sons while leaning on his staff. What was that about? While leaning on his staff. Why was he leaning on his staff? Huh? His hip was messed up. Why was his hip messed up again? Have you ever, those nursing mothers out there, speak? I won't speak for you, but those who have nursed, maybe not nursing mothers, so not in the present tense, but those who have nursed children, is there any way that you can get a child to let go? Short of snapping their cheek or something like that? <laughs> it's like, no, I got it, I ain't letting go, right? That's Jacob. That's exactly what Jacob. Jacob wrestling with the angel and will not let go and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's how he got the name Jacob. <laughs> right? He won't let go. That's how he did the name Jacob as well. He's a, he's a heel holder. <laughs> right? On the heels of. He's the one that says, I will not let go. This is the very, this is the very point of faith. I will not let go until you bless me. I will not. I will not be wavering in any way. I will not stop believing what is true. I cannot be persuaded differently. I cannot be taken out of that cycle of believing and reward. I cannot. I will not. I refuse. If I could, I would, but I can't. That's faith. That's Jacob. Jacob's a perfect example. So when he makes the point of leaning on his staff, we're supposed to remember 
what is he leaning on a staff for? <laughs> We're supposed to remember. Oh, Jacob. Oh, yes. He's definitely one of faith there. Uh, Gabe, uh, what about Joseph? And how is this faith? This is pretty cool, actually. This is a, this is a Yeshua... Uh, this is a Yeshua drosh here. This is one of the ones he would have. You, you, I can imagine he would have brought up to the Sadducees. What's Joseph's point here? Yeah. What's his point? You got to take my bones out of this place. Why? This isn't where we belong. First of all, I don't belong here. God said That's right. But what else does it imply? Pretty cool when you think about it. When I'm resurrected, I want to be in the land. That's what I say. That's an argument like Yeshua would have made to the Sadducees. When I'm, in, when I'm resurrected, I want to be in the land. I don't want to be down here. You know, it is actually, that's exactly right. And that's the, the reason why it's being mentioned. Is the writer has that, that the writer, whoever he or she is, has this uh, tremendous Pharisaic background, rabbinic background, where they know this is a proof text for the resurrection for the dead. Right? And he's saying, you know, Joseph's saying, when I'm resurrected, I don't want to be here in Egypt. I want to be there. I belong there. This was not my land. It's important in that, too. In that case, and in all of these, we see later, they do not see the promises. Well, hold on to that thought, because we're going to get to that in a second. That's exactly right. <clears throat> Moses, what did he do? What was the, well, I mean, he actually made several choices, but what was the one you're talking about? He chose to suffer with his people. Chose to suffer with his yeah. people rather than to be called the son of Pharaoh. That's right. Okay, what else? What else did, Pharaoh, what did Moses do? He forsook Egypt. What does that mean that he forsook Egypt? And this goes back to what Josh was alluding to, too, as well. It's like putting off for the present for something unseen. Seeing him who is invisible. That. What's that mean? Seeing him who is invisible. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he, be, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Messiah greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing he, him who is invisible." Well, the writer is really, is, really, is really bringing us full circle here, isn't he? What's he trying to do? Why is he bringing Moses up and referring to him who is seeing, see him, seeing him who is invisible? How did he ever see anyone invisible and who is he speaking of? When did he ever see, it says here, esteeming the reproach of Messiah greater riches than the treasure in Egypt? When was that? Did I miss that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just see you. Yeah. And 
Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's that's good. Another thing. The Yeshua is the image of the, of the invisible God. Karen. And he stood on the mountain with Yeshua. And he saw the one who was in Joshua and the seventy elders as well. If you if you've seen me, and they saw God. They saw God. Verse 27, it says, For he endured as seeing him invisible. Another way to look at that, too, is maybe not simply he saw him literally, but his endurance was as if he was seeing him. In other words, it was, it was hardcore. He was definitely certain. It may have been invisible to everybody else, but it might as well have been as he was seeing it. Uh, numbers 12. This, 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 actually, this does bring back what Valerie's speaking of as well. In, 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 the, in the concept of him on the mountain and, and being and God revealing his attributes to him and him putting him in the cleft of the rock and seeing his back as it were uh, this is actually borne out in this experience that we read about him participating in not just once but ongoing because this is what it says uh, in Numbers chapter 12 verse 7 not so with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my house which is by the way refers us back to Hebrews chapter 1 right who's faithful or Hebrews chapter 2 faithful in the house I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark saying. He sees the form of the Lord. Right? What form? Paul tells Timothy he has he's invisible. He's the he's the invisible. You know, God is invisible, has not been seen by anyone. What but, form? But the same thing that you just described there is what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration for him as well. Where he stood with the shoe and saw again. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's right. Yeah, you know, if you guys remember back, it was it been so? It's been over a year when we were doing Messiah and Sanach, and we had and we had the uh, the description there in 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 uh, uh, where Moses sees the the glory of the Lord in the, in the tent of meeting, and it talks to, his face glowed, Karen, right? That 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 glow or that 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 representation that he had been with the Lord was evident on his face, and it was the and it was that same glow, that same Karen that Paul goes on to describe in Second Corinthians three as what we who have who know the Lord and have no and have turned to Him. It says we we see Him as if standing face to face, glory to glory, as it were. And he's making this reference back to Moses having stood face to face. This is being described in Numbers chapter 12. Face to face and having this, this reflective glow as it were. Right? So yes, Moses certainly saw Messiah. I think one thing that's important in a lot of this too is he talks about in verse 13, he's all died in faith, not having received the promises and having seen them afar off. And again, putting it in context of who it is he's writing to. These are people where he's telling them don't take what you can see now at the forsaking of what you can get later. And he's pretty much telling them, you're going to have to put your faith in that you can't see now. Seeing it doesn't seem as physical, like you're talking about the, the covenant is physical, the covenant is spiritual. And so I think he's really encouraging them to say, these people went beyond what they thought they could see. And they put faith in things that they couldn't see. That's right. need to follow that example. It's a really eloquent chapter. Unfortunately, because it's so eloquent, how, and by the way, how many of these people are, are, are apostles? Isn't it interesting that the examples that this, that this writer gives 
are beyond the 40-year span, or you know, 40, you know, maybe 30-year span since Yeshua's resurrection. They're way earlier than that. Why? Why does he pick them? And Joshua named it. And exactly the point, and the whole reason why he's doing this. This is a great chapter about faith. That's not the writer's purpose. The writer's purpose is, this is an exhortation to remain faithful, steadfast. Why? Because these people listed here, they didn't see, and yet they remained steadfast and did not change. So you who see, but may not see here in the near future being kicked out of the temple, proper or whatever else, you need to remain steadfast. Look, they didn't even see. You've seen far more than they have. You've seen all this stuff. You understand all this. They didn't have a complete understanding. They didn't waver. They they didn't see the complete final fulfillment of everything that God had promised. And yet they did not waver. That's what he's telling them. He's, He's telling them remain steadfast. Why? Because you just have to trust me on this one? No. That's his point. He gave the evidence that they received. They did not receive all of their reward, but he gave evidence that there was a reason for them to believe. There was a reason for them to believe. They did receive rewards. There's a final reward. Right? It's his point of going all the way through this chapter this way. Again, if you disconnect chapter 11 from chapter 10, you miss it. That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. He starts off at 12 verse 1 and kind of sums it all up. This is what I was talking about. Okay. Believe and do. Uh, Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Any comments before we move on to Ephesians chapter 2 here? Questions? No, we're leaving Hebrews. Sorry. (laughs) We'll be back. (laughs) 8 through 10. We did a long we did a long study on salvation, didn't we? What, what salvation is Paul speaking of here? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What salvation is he speaking of? Being saved from the flood? Being saved from sickness, pestilence, death. What's he speaking of? All of which could be valid salvations, correct? What's he speaking of? The ultimate salvation, right? The ultimate redemption. Saved by grace, faith is an instrument of salvation. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I don't know if you guys have heard this. You may have. If you're, if you're well-read, you probably have. Saved by faith, right? No. No. I'm not saved by faith. Sola fide is not biblical. Sola fide is what Luther said, right? Well, Luther understood grace. But why did he say sola fide? <laughs> grace alone. Or faith alone, rather. Faith alone. Why faith alone? No, not faith alone. Grace alone. <laughs> faith it is an instrument, right? But that t- puts a different perspective on faith, I think. Personally, I think it does. I'm saved by grace through faith. Faith is an instrument of grace. Is something that's given to me and exercised. Right? But it's still not of me. It's part of that grace picture. Right? Salvation follows... Well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Go back to chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua, for good works which God prepared before Him, that we should walk in them. 
This is the correct order then, right? Faith, then works. Correct? We're not really doing the works either. <laughs> we can't take credit for the works either. Again, go back to Abraham. What was, he, what was he complaining about? And he was complaining. What was he complaining about? But it was a good complaint. Understand, there are some things that you can, quote, complain to to God. There are other things you can't. If you're acknowledging that he acknowledged you promised me. That's right. He acknowledged the promise that God had made, and he was saying, I can't do this, and only you can. Right? So again, Abraham understand what, what he could and what he couldn't do. What did he trust God for? The things that he couldn't do. Uh, James 2. This, this goes back to what George is talking about. James chapter 2. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, as 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 great as he may be, he did not like he did not like this book. So I say we take it away from him. I'll take it. We'll stop calling it James. We'll call it Yaakov. After all, it was written uh, by Yaakov, a bondservant of God, to the twelve tribes. So. You can give it up, we'll keep, we'll keep it. James two fourteen. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's actually telling you something that maybe not be so obvious. It isn't really faith. Right? But someone will say, you show me, you, you, have, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works what he offered when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Wow, that's pretty that's pretty that's cutting the knife's edge right there. Justified by works? Don't get hung up on the word justified. I promise there's far more to it than meets the theological eye. But if you examine that test too, if you look at the and when he does offer it's going to justify, it's interesting to note that the promises that God gives him after he offers Isaac are the exact same promises, pretty much, that God had given him of course. back before. Of course. It's not saying that that somehow changed the relationship with God, but rather, as we see later on, that confirmed what was there. Without getting too deeply into it, the word justified here, and actually most of the places in Scripture is being in, in the apostolic Scriptures, is speaking of a, as if it were you're in a court, a court of law. To be justified is for the truth of something to be made evident, as it were. It's to get a ruling from the judge. <laughs> yes, that evidence is admissible, as it were. Okay? It's, not, it's not to say that he was made righteous or uh, imputed. Uh, justification, unfortunately, is, has, 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 the word has evolved in the theological sense that's been taken out of its original context here. It's talking about as if it were a court of law. A statement of what's true. Pardon me? A declaration. It's just a declaration. It's not to say that every time the word justified is used that way, but that's what we need to focus on here. Okay? He was justified by works. In other words, you knew what he believed based on what he did. That's all it's saying. Okay? Romans 10, 8-11. We're almost done. 
I did, I did put this in here. Romans 10, 8 through 11. Yeah, I read it already. <laughs> but what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Okay? That's, that's all fine and well, and actually, that's actually really good. But this is the basis for a uh, walk down, raise your hand and walk down the aisle. Not that those are wrong, but raise your hand and walk down the aisle, you know, stamp your forehead, you know, don't let anybody ever talk you out of it. You are going to heaven. Okay? Again, not that that's, not that that's wrong, but is that, the, is that what it's speaking of is the question. Go to uh, Deuteronomy 30. Hmm? Was it 14? Okay, well, keep reading. Hold on. No, 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 no. Oh, yes, it was. Deuteronomy 11. Yeah. <laughs> I read backwards. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 through 14. Do you remember what we've been speaking about when any of the apostolic writers quote from the Tanakh? quote from the Old Testament what are we supposed to do read it all because they are wanting to make a point that is far more than simply the quote that they use for this is the command which which I command you today it is not too mysterious for you nor is it far off it is and he quotes this earlier in chapter 10 of Romans it is not in heaven that you should say who shall ascend into heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it by the way who does Paul equate with it here? Paul doesn't say it. Well, the it there is sort of faith, and then the who is Yeshua. Isn't that interesting? Paul makes the, the homiletic comparison between the commandment and Yeshua, the person of Yeshua. Well, he's a living Torah, so that makes perfect sense to me. But maybe others don't see it. I don't know. Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that it may be he- that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Right? The word is very near to you that you may do it. most common argument against the Old Testament in general is if you could do it, you'd be perfect. And you, wouldn't need, you wouldn't need Jesus to die for your sins. Well, that, that's true. That is true. But that's not the point, is it? That's a true statement. That is a, that is a true statement, but that's not the point. Because as John says in 1 John, it's not too difficult for you. It's not too difficult for you. And he says in Deuteronomy 30, this is not too difficult for you. To live perfectly, yes, but it's not too difficult to obey God. It's not talking about perfect living. It's talking about just obeying God. Will you make mistakes? Absolutely. (laughs) But is it too difficult? And the Torah provides for that. Well, it provides for mistakes. That's the whole sacrificial system is set up for, right? And then, of course, there's always the idea that verse 14 says that you may do it. 
if the, if the Word is the Word of Faith, as already seen, then you could argue that the Word is what enables you to do it. That's right. Which we see in Jeremiah. That's exactly the, right. The writing it on your heart. Jeremiah 31, what does it say? I will write my law on your heart. Why? That you may do it. Not that it would be hidden away, <laughs> but that it would be evidence. So when you see that young man uh, leading that little old lady across the street, and you note, and you see that, and you see, <laughs> you may not say what a nice little Jewish boy, but you may see the zitzi hanging down from him, from him, and say he's a believer or close to it. <laughs> Why? Because you got to have something that looks different from everybody else, All right? John 8.31 We're almost done. I promise. Then Yeshua said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Which goes back to what that's right. The Word enables us to do it. Right? If you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, a Hebrew speaker would immediately see the correlation between the word truth and faith. Because they have the same root, aman. Emet is truth. Emunah is faith. Aman is to believe. They're all the same words. Right? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's perseverance. True belief. True belief. True belief. It's just belief. It is, it is. (laughs) Belief is revealed in those who abide in his word. Um, In the same same way that we see the... the, um, And as we move next week into, into these exhortations and these cautions or warnings as it were and in, in fact even some rebukes within the last in all the chapters the last lesson here um, what we're going to see is this whole idea of telling them in chapters 10 and 11 and they be ending in chapter 12 to remain steadfast there's this this out don't just say in your heart get a perfect example imagine you're living in the first century and you're given the option here's a couple options you can remain in the temple and be faithful to what God has commanded but in so doing you will have to deny Yeshua okay say I, I, I don't know him as Peter I don't know him okay that's one option another option is you can Make your faith private and just slink off into the into the into the distance uh, to be to live quietly without any evidence of anybody. That was an option. That was an option. Uh, an example would be um, maybe don't stay in Jerusalem where people know who you are or what you've done. Maybe you could sneak off to uh, uh, I don't know uh, Galilee and and. Uh, People look at you. Go, oh yes, I moved from Jerusalem and participate, participate in the synagogue, part of the community, whatever else, and just don't ever bring it up. All right, that's an option. It's an option. He says, don't lose confidence. He's not telling them to be sneaky about it. Okay, I'm not saying that people need to be rude about it, but he's not telling them to be sneaky about it. The other option is this: you belong in the temple. You are not separate. You're a part of it. But if they throw you out. Better be for the right reasons, right? 
And if they throw you out, remain steadfast. Don't leave and sneak off into the distance, right? And don't deny Yeshua either. You have, you, you, these are not, the option is keep on doing what you're doing until you're thrown out, as it were. Now he doesn't say the words thrown out, we don't see that. We're, we're, imp, we're implying that in, in his case being made. What is his case being made? There is something seen and something unseen. In all of this, there's something seen, there's something unseen. The unseen is always manifested in the physical realm in some way. The unseen is maybe a belief in your heart, as it were. But what is it, how is it manifested? By doing the right thing. By staying steadfast. By not wavering. How does faith come? Paul says it in, in, in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, Paul is not he's speaking in Greek in, in the book of Romans. Writing most likely to mostly Greek readers, thinkers. But that's not the way Paul thinks. Paul's thinking in Hebrew. And what is he thinking when he says faith comes by what? Shema. What is Shema? Shema Israel. Adonai Elohim. Adonai Echad. It is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Hear. Hear, comprehend, and respond. Faith is a response. Is a response. It's obedience. And that's why the word Shema can mean obey as well. It's one, of the, it's one and the same. Hear and obey. Here, in other words, there's no option. I have no choice. So how does faith come? Faith comes by obeying. It's responding to God. That's exactly what Valerie brought up, exactly what Valerie brought up with Revelation to Abram. God said, go outside, and so he went outside. (laughs) This is not hard. Okay, give me something hard. (laughs) I went outside, and he looked up. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Not the going outside, the believing. He responded. He responded. His, his belief was evidenced by his simple action of going outside. And look out. Right? It's not hard. However, it is quite demanding. Isn't it? Isn't faith demanding? It's very demanding. It certainly is not something you can sit quietly in a pew or in the, in the receiver of this book of Hebrews sneak off to Galilee and sit quietly or stand quietly in the synagogue, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost. And it's going to be, your faith is going to have to be evidence. It has to be visible or it's not really faith. It has to be visible or it's not faith. Wow, what a powerful exhortation to them. The writer of this epistle has been showing the relationship between what is unseen and what is seen, between the heavenlies and the earth, between the spiritual and the physical, rather than dividing them into two separate things, as Greek philosophy does, he shows that they both comprise reality. In like manner, faith is a spiritual thing, and it is evidence, it is seen in deeds. Believing is evidenced by a life that is lived in commitment. Any final comments before we close? Let's close. Avinu Malkin, our Father and our King, we bow the knee to you. We know there is none like you. There is no one we can serve as holy and righteous as you. You are King, and above you there is none other. We thank you that you have called us into a relationship with you, and we know that it is only through the work of Messiah that we can be called your children. And we know that it is only by grace that you have named us yours. And we thank you for that. May you live your life through us so that it may be evidence both to us and those around that you have given us faith. 
pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vechai Olam Nata Betochenu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Blessed art thou Adonai our God King of the universe Who gave us the Torah of truth And planted eternal life in our midst Blessed art thou Adonai Giver of the Torah Amen